Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 7th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. More sanctions, more investigations into war crimes. But is it enough, as top military brass warns U.S. lawmakers of an increase in global instability and a Russian war in Ukraine that could last for years? If Putin feels so cornered that he has to escalate and use chemical weapons or nuclear weapons or attack a NATO ally, uh, he will be so doing with full knowledge that he's creating another world war. Lisa Brady. A decades-old fight against sexism becomes a 21st century debate over gender identity and sports. We know that we want to be inclusive and welcoming to all individuals, but having biological males compete against biological women is simply not a fair situation. We speak with former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. And I'm Jason Rantz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Today, the U.N. will discuss Russia's standing on the Human Rights Council. Earlier this week, the U.N. Security Council, where Russia has veto power, heard from representatives from multiple countries that slammed Russia, including Albania's representative, who said the images we saw this week out of Bucha of slaughtered Ukrainian civilians are the actions of thugs. It will be hard, actually impossible, to convince anyone that the destroyed tanks that clutter the roads, the mines and booby traps left behind amid the wreckage, and the bodies of civilians killed by arbitrary executions and laying in the streets amidst debris are staged scenes for propaganda. But the Russian Federation representative denied pretty much all accusations against Russia, saying there were no eyewitnesses. Wednesday, the Justice Department said aside from assisting European and Ukrainian prosecutors with a war crimes investigation, they're following through on enforcing sanctions, working with Spanish authorities, for example, to seize one Russian oligarch's yacht, criminally charging Konstantin Malefev with violating sanctions imposed on him. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco says they are the first such criminal charges against a Russian oligarch since the invasion began. Our goal is to ensure that sanctioned Russian oligarchs and cyber criminals will not find safe haven. They also announced they disrupted the Russian-run darknet site Hydra, seizing millions in cryptocurrency. And the FBI director said they disrupted a Russian intelligence-created botnet, removing malware from devices at thousands of businesses. On Wednesday, President Biden said, Together with our allies and our partners, we're going to keep raising the economic costs and ratchet up the pain for Putin and further increase Russia's economic isolation. And he announced additional sanctions. I'm going to sign an executive order that's going to ban any new U.S. investment in Russia. The question is, is it all enough? Will it change the trajectory of this war, especially as the Joint Chiefs chairman warns it could last for years? I think there's much more we can do. Kristen Gillibrand is a Democratic senator from New York. I think we need to create sanctions that are so crippling, that are so painful to 
Putin and his elite that uh, they changed his course of action. And so that is the goal of these sanctions. Um, I think what President Biden has done to increase the people who will be under these sanctions is wise. Um, a lot of the elite within Russia hide their money by giving it to spouses and children. They will give it to girlfriends. They will give it to anyone to hide money and resources and assets so that they can't be sanctioned. So widening the net to include a lot of these individuals is appropriate. Uh, I think what President Biden is doing is trying to create extreme pressure on Putin himself so that he will recognize what he's doing is a violation of human rights, uh, a violation of international standards, and that he will be held accountable by NATO and the free world. So, for example, uh, President Biden has included Cerber Bank and Alpha Bank into the list of sa sanctioned banks. That's highly relevant. Um, there's still other institutions that are providing resources to the Russian government that can be sanctioned. Um, and we could start, you know, taking away assets of the oligarchs. Um, they should be seized by the United States and our allies across the board. There should be no there should be no place where the oligarchs, the generals, the government individuals who have voted for this war can hide assets. The U.N. is going to vote on suspending Russia from the Human Rights Council. I wonder if you think if that will happen. And what about the Security Council? We know Russia has veto power, but they're still on that, right? I agree. Um, these are the kinds of things that we should be looking very closely at as ways to continue to increase the pressure around Putin and to stop his actions. Um, the whole point of these sanctions is to change his decision making or change the decision making of those around him to not participate. We have to increase the opportunities for him to see no upside in continuing his actions and for those around him to try to influence him to to stop. As you know, Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley um, said this week to the House Armed Services Committee, and I'm going to read the quote, we're entering a world that is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict is increasing, not decreasing. He didn't say just Russia. He said the potential for significant international conflict. I imagine we're thinking of other adversaries, maybe China, Iran, North Korea. You are on the Senate Intelligence Committee and you get information that we all don't get. What do we do with this information that we're being told? I think first and foremost, he was most likely referring to this war escalating, meaning that it would turn into a world war um, because there is so much instability that Russia is creating. If Putin feels so cornered that he has to escalate and use chemical weapons or nuclear weapons or attack a NATO ally, uh, he will be so doing with full knowledge that he's creating uh, another world war. And so we have no faith that he has rational judgment, that he has the ability to understand the consequences of his actions. Um, the one thing that is happening is we are seeing our alliances grow. Um, President Biden has done an excellent job in creating a shoulder to shoulder approach 
with NATO allies and other European allies uh, to make sure that we stand shoulder to shoulder against Russia. Uh, when I was in Poland and Germany just a few weeks ago, uh, we were able to see NATO forces. We saw American troops doing exercises with NATO forces and how ready they are to protect the homeland and protect uh, their allies. It's not insignificant how much pressure Putin is putting on the world order through his horrific invasion and destruction of Ukraine. It is something that is almost incomprehensible in this day and age. And so we are ready to protect America and protect our allies. And in the meantime, we're going to give Ukraine all the munitions and support they need to win their war. Another question, because you're on the Senate Intelligence Committee, I just want your thoughts. A lot of intelligence was notably released ahead of this invasion, and there were plenty of stories about Ukraine sort of dismissing them or downplaying them. And obviously, unfortunately and sadly, it turned out that intel was right. What was behind, do you think, releasing so much of that intelligence, talking about false flag operations, et cetera, before the invasion? It seemed like a sort of a new tactic or a new effort to share. I think America did its best to create a wake up call for our allies and the Ukrainian government that the risks of this invasion happening were so high that they needed to be well aware of what our view of the world was at the time. Uh, I was very concerned before the war started that our allies and that Ukraine weren't taking our signals uh, seriously. And so unfortunately, um, our intelligence was correct and Russia did invade. And as a consequence, uh, we are continuing to work with the Ukrainians and our allies to keep regional security, but to help the Ukrainians win this war. Let's let's move to cyber fears and worries, but also solutions. Um, We've heard for years now about Russian cyber attacks lurking in our election systems. We know they're increasing out of China as well. And there's also like talk from I know on Wednesday, the FBI director said that they stopped a botnet attack basically out of Russia that would have infected, you know, thousands of devices around the world at different businesses. I wanted your thoughts about this idea of a West Point for cyber. Uh, I know the former Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, posed this idea and recently said the, the government needs to have better talent, essentially, beefing up on AI and cyber capabilities. Is that a solid idea? How do we get there? Um, yes, this is an area where Eric Schmidt and I are in complete agreement. Um, his AI commission made one of several recommendations for a digital and cyber academy for uh, helping the federal government be prepared for cyber attack and for cyber war. And this is something that I've also been working on for quite a while. Um, having joined the Intelligence Committee last year and having been on the Armed Services Committee for over a decade, um, this is an area where I spent a lot of time. And so last year in the National Defense Authorization Bill, I wrote legislation to create a National Cyber Academy. And this would be essentially like a West Point for a civilian cyber workforce to help the federal government in all areas where it needs help. So whether it's NSA or NGA or CIA or FBI, we need the best and brightest cyber personnel protecting and working with the federal government. And so the best way to do that in my mind is to train our men and women 
from the beginning to do these really incredibly important jobs and to make sure they are uh, trained from the beginning in a way that we can provide debt-free college, just like uh, West Point and the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy, but also uh, state-of-the-art education. So I'm writing that legislation now. Uh, what the NDAA provided for was a framework um, to begin to assess how to build a cyber academy. It will likely take a decade to actually build a brick and mortar university. But in the meantime, we can use existing programs as well as the ROTC model to partner with universities, um, state schools and community colleges all across the country who already have the coursework that is necessary to prepare these individuals. And we have existing programs that we can build upon. The DOD has one, the NSA has one, the National Science Foundation has one. And so we can use existing relationships relationships with these schools and training platforms uh, to start creating cyber academy classes as early as uh, people applying next year. So we want to do this now. It's urgent. Um, we want to be able to scale this quickly and we can use existing infrastructure to do that. I have a friend, Frederick Hall in San Antonio. Um, he's the uh, Hondo Cyber Patriot team coach. He helps coach and teach high schoolers about cyber. And we've talked a lot about this idea of when will this trickle down into high school, maybe even elementary? At what point is it important to change curriculum at even you know a, a younger level, at a younger age level, to instruct children yeah. on coding or cyber or, or you know having a class yeah. alongside math and English? Is that is that on the radar? Absolutely, it's already being done. So, for example, I toured uh, a tech academy in Troy, New York, um, because it was a partner high school to a program being run by Hudson Valley Community College. Um, they wanted to get kids interested in STEM careers right away. So they created a high school to create a pipeline of these STEM careers to go straight into HVCC's program to develop advanced manufacturing, to develop kids who not only uh, know how to code, but kids who know how to build. And uh, it was really pretty impressive how they're gearing a whole high school towards STEM to be the workforce of the future. So yes, we should be doing that in public schools all across the country and, and create magnet schools because um, these mm -hmm. STEM career schools are really exciting to get the STEM education into the high school level that can be finished off with a community college two-year degree or a four-year degree to go into any aspect of the federal government that's desperate for this cyber talent. Senator Gillibrand of New York, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Jason Rance with your Fox News commentary coming up. 
Less than a month since University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas became the first known transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I championship, the debate over gender and sports is far from over, and it didn't start with Leah Thomas. Parents and other advocates for trans athletes spent months pressing Texas lawmakers not to pass new restrictions, only allowing public school students to play on sports teams that match their assigned gender at birth. To assert that somebody would go through that process and then one, swear under oath before a court that the information that they are presenting is true and valid just to compete in a sports team is preposterous. But what became the Save Women's Sports Act was signed into law by the Texas governor last October. Several other states have passed similar measures and lawsuits have begun. Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines tied Leah Thomas for fifth place in one championship race, but remains concerned. The majority of us female athletes or females in general, really, are not okay with this and are not okay with, you know, the trajectory of this and how this is going and how this could end up in a couple of years. Gaines also told Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn's unmuted podcast, a lot of girls don't want to risk their future athletics or career by speaking out. All of this simmering while the Biden administration prepares to announce its game plan for Title IX, the 50-year-old law that bans discrimination or exclusion on the basis of sex from any education program or activity that receives federal funding. A change in the language may be coming. Well, what we understand that the proposed rule will say is a total expansion or redefinition of sex from its clear biological and legal meaning to include sexual orientation, gender identity, sex stereotypes, and sex-related characteristics, including intersex traits. Betsy DeVos is a former U.S. Education Secretary and author of the upcoming book, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. She wrote a New York Post editorial warning the new language could kill women's sports. Now, this is a massive uh, change, and when we think about when the Title IX law was passed in 1972, it was to ensure that women had equal opportunity to access education and sports. And if this proposal is successful, it will basically negate women's sports ultimately. Because if anybody who is born a biological male can decide to compete on a female team or against females, it becomes totally unfair. Now, the education department's Office of Civil Rights issued a notice of interpretation last June that Title IX protection from discrimination includes sexual orientation and gender identity. So why would a change in language be needed at this point? Well, it's not needed, but this administration continues to play to the far left fringe of its party. And, you know, the party that likes to talk about following the science isn't actually following the science. You know, they refuse to acknowledge that biological men come with traits and advantages that women can't possibly compete with. And that is greater muscle mass, bone density, cardiovascular capacity, all of these traits that make biological males competing as females uh, simply an unfair and untenable situation. What about the argument that it's discrimination not to let trans athletes compete and that things like hormone therapy help level the playing field? 
Well, the reality is hormone therapy does not level the playing field. Those traits, they are innate to an individual who has gone through puberty. And the reality also is that we know that we want to be inclusive and welcoming to all individuals, but having biological males compete against biological women is simply not a fair situation. We should be around finding solutions that are fair for everyone. In this case, it is a total turn on the head of what Title IX was originally meant to be, which is to advance equality for women, and in this case, it will destroy equality quality. Now, the end result of the Title IX review that was ordered by President Biden isn't known yet. If this language is not changed, what would you be hoping for? Is the point right now to kind of raise public awareness so that there's more pressure, you know, on them not to include this language? Absolutely. To expand or change the definition of sex, which in 1972, I don't know if anyone would have anticipated a complete redefinition in 2022 to include sexual orientation, gender identity, sex stereotypes, etc., etc. If the proposal to change it, there will be an opportunity for public comment for a period of time. And we need to ensure that people are aware of this and have opportunity to speak into this and to talk about the unfairness and to raise the point that you cannot be for what Title IX stands for, which is assuring equal opportunity and access for women in education and sports, and then at the same time say it's okay for biological males to compete on female teams and against females. Those are not compatible. Until recently, the Title IX debate was more about how sexual assault Assault and harassment allegations are handled. Under the Trump administration, DeVos led changes that countered what the Obama administration had done. And critics say it led to too much emphasis on the rights of the accused instead of victims. But in lawsuits, the courts have expressed concern, as DeVos did, about due process rights. And she's also concerned about what the Biden administration might do with those rules. Absolutely. What they're trying to do now is really a second round of weaponizing Title IX. The Obama administration administration led the Office for Civil Rights, led by the same individual who's leading that office today under the Biden administration, sent dear colleague letters totally changing how campuses had to deal with these issues of sexual misconduct and effectively set up kangaroo courts across the country on college campuses and threw out due process rights where individuals could not even, in many cases, know what evidence was being brought against them. And in fact, hundreds of court cases have validated their complaints about the process. What we did with the regulation of the Title IX was reassert the importance of due process rights, of fairness, of predictability, of balance and objectivity, not setting up and skewing it toward one party or another, and that there's going to be a presumption of innocence going in as a foundational part of our nation's laws. There are some critics on, you know, among college officials and also advocacy groups who aren't convinced that balance has been found between the accusers and the accused in the process. Is there a way to come up with rules that can feel more fair to more people? 
Well, anybody who reads the rules that we finalized during the last administration, anybody who actually reads the rule, I would encourage them to show me in what point this rule is not fair and does not give balance to the whole process. What we have done is, first of all, make sure that those bringing the complaints are ultimately in charge of how the complaint process unfolds. If they don't want to file a formal complaint, they don't have to. They're the ones who can determine how far or how broad they want or need to go with a complaint. And on the other side, that the individual who's been accused can have access to the information around what they're accused about and have, uh, you know, counsel that will be able to review that and, you know, be their advisor on it. And then importantly, both sides be able to question the other. Again, understanding that in too many cases, the individual bringing the complaint had to relive it all over again when the process was not respecting due process rights and protection for all individuals involved. They had to be re-traumatized and go through it all again because of the lack of a legitimate process. On the gender identity issue in girls' sports, is there a solution that isn't going to be polarizing? Well, I think there could be a solution. I mean, if there are transgender athletes that want to compete, perhaps there's an argument for uh, having a separate league or a separate forum uh, for that to be able to happen. But it's never going to be a fair situation for biological males to compete against women. No matter how you try to cut it, there are going to be advantages built in with a a biological male. And so I think of the thousands, if not millions, of young women who are working hard in their chosen sport and training and have hopes to excel and compete, and this notion that anyone at any time they could face someone who had built-in advantages, I just I, I can't imagine how demoralizing that would ultimately be. I wanted to ask you quickly about the new law in Florida, restricting what happens, what's discussed in younger grades when it comes to sexuality and gender-related issues. Would you expect to see more laws like that and you know, is it going to hold up in court because of free speech concerns? Well, I think, uh, first of all, the law was mislabeled and carried away in such a way that it is totally masking what the intent of the law is and the intent of the law will be, and that is to ensure that kids in the young grades, kindergarten through third grade, that they're focused on learning and not on infusing inappropriate developmental subjects into kindergarten through third grade levels. Congratulations in advance on your upcoming book, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom in the Future of the American Child. I'm just wondering, was this driven by the concerns that have been firing up parents at school board meetings around the country, or did that just expand what you're already working on? 
Well, it, it is a, a fortuitous time to be talking about what has been 175 years, uh, the founder of the current system of education. Horace Mann talked about taking children hostages from their parents to the education system. And so this is a direct reference to that and saying we have got to uh, empower families, empower parents again to be able to direct and control their kids' education, to know what's going on in their classrooms, to be able to find an educational environment that's going to work for each of their children, to recognize that today versus 175 years ago when we were entering into an industrial age and had to turn out lots of factory widget parts, that's not what we are preparing children for today, and we have got to um, reflect that in the kinds of experiences we offer to children in their K-12 years to ensure that every, every kid gets the opportunity to develop to their fullest potential. Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Rantz. What's on your mind? Seattle's crime surge spread statewide thanks to Democrats' progressive policies. Thanks to a Democratic legislature that codified the radical defund police proposals into laws, plus light on crime judges, the crime surge hitting Seattle is spreading across the state. And there's no sign that the crime explosion will slow. In fact, it's getting worse. Seattle has averaged more than one homicide a week so far this year. Gun violence has nearly doubled with 95% more shots fired and a 171% increase in gunshot victims compared to last year. Drug dealing is rampant, homeless shoplifters are destroying local businesses, and random brutal assaults are all too common. Unlike Las Vegas, what happens in Seattle doesn't stay in Seattle. In nearby Tacoma, the homicide rate is just as bad as Seattle. Yakima, located in central Washington, has seen a spiraling domestic violence epidemic with 1,592 domestic violence incidents since last July. Meanwhile, car theft in the mid-size border city of Bellingham is up over 300%, already surpassing the total number of thefts from 2019. Where did this all come from? Well, the left's assault on policing and the courts after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Fringe activists demanded changes and like-minded Democrats decided to oblige. Democrats passed legislation preventing cops from using force, including detention at the scene of a crime, unless probable cause exists for an arrest. They even banned most vehicular pursuits, which means criminals can quite literally drive off from the scene of most crimes without fear they'll be chased and detained. 
cities like Seattle went one step further, banning most traffic stops altogether. The use of force bill was somewhat fixed this last legislative session to allow police use of force if a suspect flees the scene of a crime. But that standard is still probable cause, which is much higher than reasonable suspicion. This matters because criminals know these laws work in their favor, and they're taking advantage. In many of the cities where this is occurring, especially Seattle, police are so understaffed, they can't arrive in time to catch the criminals. If the new so-called police accountability laws weren't bad enough, we've got politicians and judges who treat criminals like the victims. According to a leaked draft ordinance, the King County Council is considering legislation mandating police connect a suspect with a public defender before they can consent to a search of their person or property. The suspect can't even waive their rights. They must first speak with a lawyer. This effectively stops police investigations while hampering them with extra work. When the suspects are teens, there's almost never juvenile detention thanks to left-wing judges. Maybe that's behind the rash of teen criminals endangering the lives of residents. They know they're not going to be punished seriously. The suspects in a Tacoma pot shop murder are 15 and 16. They had just been previously placed on home arrest following charges connected to a violent armed robbery that included an alleged pistol whipping. Anyone even casually reviewing these new laws, the defunded and understaffed police departments, and the soft on crime judges and prosecutors, we'd be able to connect the dots. But with woke one-party rule in Washington state, we get little more than lip service that barely even acknowledges the crisis. I'm Jason Rands. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.